Hello, listeners. Welcome to our first, hopefully, uh, episode of uh, our podcast here. Um, we're going to be talking about lots of lots of fun tabletop RPG, D&D, whatever stuff. Um, my name is Colin. This is Jacob. Do you want to say hi, Jacob? Hello, everyone. Uh, Jacob I'm Jacob. Uh, we play D&D together, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we've been friends for a long time, so this is hopefully going to be a very loose, uh, we're going to keep it hopefully light uh, going through, but just talking about things that uh, we find interesting or we want to talk about. So, yeah, um, the thought for the first very part of this is that we'd start with something that is uh, a little different or unique or something fun that we want to share. And... Today, I found uh, something that I guess we're going to share, and that is the Book of Exalted Deeds. So the Book of Exalted Deeds uh, is in the Dungeon Master's Guide on page 222. It is a wondrous item. It is an artifact that requires attunement uh, by a creature of good alignment, um, which shouldn't really be a problem if you're playing any any sort of session or, or tabletop RPG where you have a group of characters. I mean, typically I don't really see games where you have evilly aligned characters, but, um, you know, keep that in mind. Um, that do you want to give a description it, it of the results. flavors? Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, book of Exalted Deeds. Uh, this is kind of a book uh, that is the definitive treatise on all that is good in the multiverse. Probably said that word wrong. The book a treatise is a treatise is the proper pronunciation of that word. I've never seen that before. Yeah, treatise. <laughs> the a fabled book of treatise. exalted. Yeah, the fabled book of exalted deeds. Um, it figures prominently in many religions. Rather than being a scripture devoted to a particular faith, the book's various authors fill the pages with their own very vision of pure virtue, providing guidance for detecting evil. Uh, so the book is really powerful. Very interesting. This is a. This is not something that you'd really hand out to any party that isn't close to max level, or there's not a significant challenge to get it. Yeah. Someone who's running a game. Um. Now go down to because I'm I'm reading the text along with you. Um. Let's talk about the part where after you attune it, um, or after you've become attuned to the object. Um, yes, yes, yes. Uh, Uh, once it's opened, uh, and you are attuned to it, this is a book that you have to, to read and you got to read it for quite a while. Um, a couple of work weeks. If you're working man, that's 80 hours reading this book and studying it to digest its contents and gain its benefits. Um, all other creatures that peruse this book's open pages and studying it play uh, no deeper meaning than just looking at it would. Uh, an evil creature that tries to read from it uh, takes a uh, load of radiant damage, 24d6, uh, and <laughs> it ignores resistance and immunity. Can't be no. avoided or reduced by any means. If you're reduced to zero by it, poof, gone. So um, the main kitsch of the book is that essentially it's quite wondrous. 
You have to tune to it. You have to read it for a very long time. Evil people cannot read it. And then um, essentially what it will give you uh, are going to be um, minor beneficial properties and major beneficial properties. They're random. They're from a table. Um, I imagine as a DM, you would probably want your player to to roll a D100 and, and pick from the table. Um, a lot of or, times, you know, and yeah. A lot of times, as a, yeah. A lot of times as a DM, you might pick that a little bit more. You might just look through that and pick ones that might make sense for the setting. That's usually what I do on tables when I'm creating stuff, just because I think that it there's certain if it's anything minor I like rolling on tables, but if it's anything major, I I do think that it's good to kind of do a little bit of perusing and sometimes I like to pick and choose. Right. So you get two minor beneficial properties. Um, these range from anything from gaining proficiency in a skill, uh, becoming um, immune to charm, being charmed or frightened. Um, uh, you can essentially you can gain a plus one to your AC. Yeah. Um, so those are you get two of those minor ones, and then the major ones are a little more uh, more major. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you want to say some of those? Those, those are pretty. Uh, block uh block and template you know a lot of times they'll give you different they'll give you different uh, enhanced senses and they'll give you immunity resistances it, it, it can be wide and varied uh, depending on those tables are adapted uh there's quite a few of them actually they're adapted for different armors and they're all over the place in uh different source books yeah uh however the biggest benefit of this book uh the big kicker is that if you read it and you gain its uh, wisdom, you increase your wisdom by two. Uh, it'll crank it above 20 as well, up to 24. And yep. once you've read this book, uh, any spell slot you use to cast a cleric or paladin spell counts as a spell slot of one level higher, so you are always upcasting. And That's very good. <laughs> that's that's um, really, really good for clerics. Once you've read and studied book, you also get a protective halo, 10-foot radius, dim light. Uh, and when you can manifest it to give you advantage on persuasion checks, as well as intimidation checks uh, against certain good and evil creatures, uh, respectively. So, um, I also, please, please, please mention the destroying the book section. I love this little bit that was added into the DMG for destroying the book. Uh, yes, uh, it's rumored, can't be destroyed. However, uh, as long as good exists in the multiverse, it cannot be destroyed. Additionally, if you drown it in the river Styx, it removes all writing and imagery from its pages and renders the book powerless for a D100 years. <laughs> I, I love, uh, that's my favorite thing about things in the yeah. DMG, is that they're just random, very powerful objects, and then they have to mention at the bottom, oh, by the way, it probably can't be destroyed, and if you try to destroy it, it will be powerless for X amount of time. I love how they have to, because you know at some point someone in your party is going to mention, I try to destroy the Exalted book. Um, and I, I just find that, I find yeah. that hilarious. Um, well, additionally, there's one thing we did kind of scoot past that I'm just going to touch on before we move on, and that is that the Book of Exalted Deeds, uh, a re requisite for using it, only lasts, uh, the benefits only last as you strive to do good. 
uh, yeah. written into this book, if you fail to perform at least one act of kindness or generosity in the span of 10 days, or you willingly perform an evil act, you will lose all benefits granted by the book. Now, obviously, so, I think that that would be determined by the DM just because those are kinds of things that maybe you're not always keeping track of. But, or, or if you're trying to be very dramatic, you could purposefully perform an evil act to, you know, do so. Very true. Um, However, that's a tough I, I, I love <laughs> the... I, well, true. I, I love the idea of a book that essentially turns you just into an angel, literally an exalted like angel um and you essentially have to be good i i do i find it interesting that it's just by a creature of good alignment you don't necessarily need i mean technically you could be neutral good you could be chaotic good those aren't necessarily like angelic and beautiful and exalted but they would still technically work which i find kind of i find that interesting um but book of exalted deeds i i like that that's a cool one definitely now, Page uh, 222 DMG. Um, let's let's move on to our main subject of the episode. Um, every single episode we'll be talking about just sort of random pre-generated ideas that we come up with just very briefly before each um, episode. We may do um, classes. We may do character builds, um, monsters, like a villain. Um, this, time, this time around for the first episode, we're going to do uh, an encounter. Um, and we very briefly just came up with very brief descriptions of, of uh, encounter ideas, and we're going to just bounce them off of each other and see what sticks. Um, yeah. Jacob, why don't you go ahead with your one, and then I'll, I'll say mine when you're done. Yeah. So the first thing we did is, when starting this, we kind of want to look through a couple different uh, base starting points that were just something that was interesting. So, of course, uh, went to a random uh, idea generator, and the idea that was generated was hiding at the beach. Now, uh, hiding at the beach. Uh, we talked uh, very briefly when we initially picked uh, this is one of the things to just start exploring. Uh, Colin, you, the first thing you said came to mind. Uh, the, first thing I, the, the first thing I said that came to mind when I was thinking of, a, of an encounter that was hiding in a beach was something like the monster is hiding like in the sand underneath the beach. And your party, like, however you, however you do it, your party um, uh, alerts the monster and they rise up out of the sand. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, one of the first couple things that comes to mind if you're thinking, all right, how can you hide on the beach? You know, it's pretty open wide, not a whole lot of cover unless you're looking with dunes. However, sand um, uh, burrowing creatures. And there's a number of different burrowing creatures that could be part of this uh, hiding on the hiding on the beach uh, ideas. But a really cool thing that's brought on by the beach setting is that at the beach, there's water. Now, Tremorsense, you could uh, pose a different interesting encounter that may include uh, different burrowing creatures and the party trying to hide by going into the water, maybe. That could be something that would be beneficial, but slow you down. It's a fun, different area to explore. Uh, I mean, I, I, oh no, go ahead. Oh no, finish up what you were going to say. I was just going to say that, you know, the concept of having a creature, when I think of a creature that's hiding in the sand, I'm thinking of a creature that has like tremor sense. 
Um, I'm, cre I'm thinking of it like you said, burrowing. That's the first thing that also comes to mind too. Um, but I, I also think of how the party or how the players are going to react to that because the best, both you and I know this, but the best, some of the best encounters come from ones that are completely unexpected and are totally out of the blue and you, you wouldn't have seen it coming. Um, go, so I went, go on with your second point because I, I think I know where you're going. Yeah, so the other area is like, you know, you couldn't just hide in the sand. There was two other things that I think that the hiding could entail, but the first of that is using the water. Now, a, a reason someone would shield themselves or hide in the water, first thing comes to mind is fire. Now, I think that a dragon would be a little bit too coarse for a beach. So I thought maybe something of the sort of maybe a, a fire-breathing manticore that, you know, was chasing. And if they just went in the water, I think the fire-breathing manticore would still come out on top. So I think that it probably is out of its element. Maybe yeah. it had been blinded from some kind of past encounter. And because of that, you know, they were trying to, they can actually, if they move slowly, you could argue that they could try to evade this thing. However, if you go in the water to evade the fire, it's pretty loud. Manticore is going to figure out where you are. So it's an interesting uh, situation where they have to pick which end of the sword they want to go. I mean, I, um, I like the concept of having a creature that is, yeah, yes, it's taken from the monster manual, but, you know, if your creature, if your creatures, <laughs> if your players are expecting um say like say they are on the beach and say they are expecting some sort of beach encounter for whatever reason maybe just due to like bad dming um maybe they're expecting the beach monster you wouldn't expect a blinded manticore <laughs> like that's that's definitely yeah. not that's def that's not what i would expect so i like the idea of keeping things like strange and sort of um, taken from the manual, but just slightly adapted, you know? Yeah, and, and you know, in reality, like I said, the 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 manual and all, all stat blocks, really, are just templates. Yeah, if oh, you're yeah. ever concerned about something being too strong or too weak, you can always uh, change it in little ways, like adding uh, different uh, abilities, such as able to randomly breathe fire, or in the right circumstance, you know. But otherwise, you know, if you feel like, well, you know, this wouldn't just be a challenge, double its health. Call it a yep. day. You know, there's no shame if, it's, if it will make it more interesting as long as it's reasonable to the situation and the kind of a fight you're trying to aim at. Yeah, I, I think that ha absolutely having... Um using the manual just sort of as a guide rather than actually following it like word for word. Um, because the, the key is bringing up monsters and, and things that if the player has already had experience with them, you still want to catch them off guard. Um, if you throw at them a manticore, they're going to be like, Oh, okay. I know the, I know the, um, stats of a manticore. I know what to expect from a manticore. I know what its like multi attack looks like. I know how to fight this thing. The goal is to not. <laughs> the goal is to make totally throw them off guard, 
and make them realize this is not a normal yeah. mint core encounter that, or whatever kind of monster. <laughs> that's that's a especially important nowadays because in the game that we play in, a couple of the players are, are veteran players of D and D. You know, I've although I you know am very much a D and D nerd. I I I I have played way too many hours. <laughs> However, oh, yeah. I I know that some of these people. Will and a lot of players that you'll play with will just know a lot of things about D and D, and that's just kind of a product of people who like D and D sometimes play a lot of D and D. But that's why if you kind of keep it interesting, or you want to keep your players having to learn in different ways, you know, right? More that you can have them engage and learn along with you, it'll make really any kind of. Uh, any kind of game so much better yeah i mean I, I again like i i think that having especially if you're going to be doing up an encounter where it's something seemingly mundane having it be turning it and transforming it into something really special and being very strange is very memorable um and will keep players just enticed for for more um for more weird encounters like that rather than just an encounter like, all right, you're going to fight a bunch of um, ogres. I'm like, okay, cool. Done this a zillion times rather than, Ooh, we just got wrapped up into an encounter that we didn't expect has a monster. We can't necessarily look up the stats for, um, you know, we I've never really seen it before. That's, that is kind of like the hallmark. Absolutely. So, uh, so that's kind of hiding at the beach. Um, you had some stuff that you were possibly thinking about. Yes. I, so I, I have a cool one. I, I left it relatively short because I want to spur a lot off of it. Um, you know what? I will say I do have one last bullet point at Hiding the Beach if we want to say that. Otherwise oh, go no, go later. for it. Yeah. Uh, the last thing that I was thinking about kind of that kind of sprung a little bit into the Manticore idea is using the dunes as cover. So my thought is Hiding in the Beach could be trying to crawl away behind dunes as quietly as you could. Yeah. And the, although uh, the, the scene that comes to mind is, you know, people crawling at the beach, the first thing that comes as inspiration as some, some gruesome material such as uh, the, the opening scene of Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, and okay. <laughs> so... If there were lines of archers and it was some kind of a war front and at this beach there were people who had, there was a, a troop that had mostly collapsed, were just trying to get by. If you had kind of broke cover or tried to dash too quickly, a volley of arrows could be headed your way. Or it could even be smaller, it could be a number of archers, but some kind of imminent threat from archers or ranged enemies kind of staring out having to duck around and use the dunes as cover to either sneak past or to engage in an enemy could be interesting. For sure. Um, I, again, I, I guess just kind of, again, going back, but like that is I, the goal truly is just to keep people on their feet. Um, I think, especially with, with random encounters, just make it as unique and as, as um, uh, head turning as you can, because um, having things be, Having things be expected and typical is very hard to work with. I think just purposefully making it weird really, really helps. Um, but yeah. Yeah, definitely. 
So yeah, <laughs> with that, uh, back to what you were saying, I suppose. So okay, so my my concept was um, if we're going off of this theme of a random encounter, it's got to be unique and it's got to be catch the players off guard. Um, I'm thinking of an encounter where you it's like I'm playing a game. I spy. I'm thinking of um, I'm thinking of an encounter where your players have no idea that they're going to get into a fight. Um, so in typical sessions for any tabletop RPG, there's a pretty consistent flow of combat, role play, combat, role play. Sometimes there are sessions of just role play um, or just combat. How about let's make it weird and the party and the players think that they're totally fine and totally safe, but they actually can be attacked at a notice. So... My concept was if your players are in a shop and they're simply looking at an item, have there be uh, another figure in the shop? Because for some reason, every single time in, in, in D&D and in uh, role-playing games, your players are the only people in the shop, which is silly. That's almost unheard of. Um, they're in a shop. They're looking at a random item. There's another person Why, hello, in the traveler. shop. <laughs> maybe right there's another person in the shop and they've got like a hood on and they're looking kind of sketchy they're like listening into their conversation the players don't even necessarily need to notice but um when your players try to buy whatever that big item is say it is say it's the exalted book that we were talking about earlier um <laughs> or it could be really be anything yeah that's that's probably not have gonna be on the store the, shelves <laughs> well right have the hooded figure butt in and be like no i want to buy it and then have your players argue and be like, oh, no, no, we want to buy it. And then have the, the seedy hooded figure uh, at some point either just give up or, you know, offer. Essentially, you, you kind of want to you, you want to guilt your players into buying whatever the item is and having the hooded shady figure walk away. I, I love um, this. <laughs> later, do you, do you know where this is going? No, but, I, you know, I, I love the idea of, no, I want it. Well, Just right. having a random NPC interrupt your players. Right, right, right. So the random NPC is so, not random. The random NPC is later in either that session or it could be another session. That random NPC is going to try and hold up and maybe even kill, try to kill your party um, for that object. Um, so they could be like an assassin that they were maybe being hunted by or that random person who was listening in um, was that magic item they need, like they, that they need that item for a very specific reason. Um, or you could even get really freaky with it and maybe um, your players, when they walk into the shop, there's like an auction going on. And, you know, they raise their bid and the hooded figure raises their bid. Um, and, you know, later after the auction, they try to get them. So I guess the concept here is just to incorporate combat after role play where you think the characters are safe and i think this also could you could easily throw this into story too um and easily have the hooded figure be someone or something from from whatever story you've got going in your campaign well i um, actually was trying to do that rather recently um yeah in the last session uh that we ran of D D. uh I intended for it to be a thing of, I'm not sure if you recall, but you guys were uh, 
investigating uh, a kind of occultish uh, situation in this town. And I was going to have it be one of those situations. You're going to talk to this uh, one religious leader in town. Uh, you're going to talk with him. Maybe realize that, that he, either you could have realized or you could not have realized that something was up. And he had some significant role. And then the thought would be that later you kind of follow some activity around. And then it leads back to his place. And at that point, I was expecting you guys to dig further. But, no, you guys kind of ignored it and realized that there was something else going on entirely. And went straight to the punchline where now you guys realize you are in a combat situation. And we'll see how it unfolds, though. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, I think... I think in my opinion, um, the the one thing I would not want from my players if I were DMing uh, would be I give them something cool that I've thought of and they just groan and they're like, uh, we've seen this before. Like, we've, we've done oh. this before. What do we expect? Or just something really, really lame where they're traveling and um, you have them make a survival check. One of them rolls kind of low. And then you're like, hmm, okay. Your, yes, your travels go so good for now. And they're like, okay, yeah, what are we expecting? Is it going to be some goblins or like whatever? Like there's no point in having them be that, uh, no, like that, that stereotypical and known when you can have it some, be something really weird where they are oh. literally just going about their day-to-day -day business or trying to progress further in their story and they get completely upended by, a, by an NPC that, like you said, just straight up interrupts them and is like, the actual interrupter for between role play and and combat um, yeah there's nothing yeah. that'll really kind of bring everyone into a into a moment like some kind of interesting or otherwise exciting plot moment that everyone really wants to be a part of but that be a really absurd situation is someone getting interrupted by an NPC or you know something that I did the uh, couple months back of there was uh, uh, Robald the Cobald. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, you remember that one? Or was yeah. It? Yep. So, you know, you can just have random random things that, that are around, and they don't have to, and nothing, everything has to be uh, significant, you know. Having some other simpler stuff to uh, fill out the middle can keep it interesting as well. Yeah, I mean, again, just driving the point home, I think the the concept of just having a, an actual clear delineation between combat or role play can sometimes get bored and just become boring for people playing when you could have something become just naturally organic and just part of the story. Whether Whether or not it is seemingly forced is up to the player, but... In trying to incorporate something just into the environment or into whatever the players are just trying to do, and they all of a sudden get, um, you know, interrupted by whatever this, you know, encounter is, I think is the is the main thing. I guess both of our encounters were interrupt interrupting kinds of encounters rather than ones that they walk into, because neither of them were necessarily ones where they know they're going to, you know, get get mashed into something. Absolutely. Yeah. It's any kind of a scenario like anything like this or anything of the future. Uh, I'm sure, we'll try to keep this interesting as such. Oh, for sure. Um, 
To take it home, I will mention a fun spell that I think is very stupid. Um, and then we can uh, talk more about cool spells maybe in another episode. Um, but I'll send us off on uh, a spell. You can look this one up too, Jacob. Um, it's from Xanathar's Guide to Everything on page 160. It's called Magic Stone. Um, well, I, I should reiterate, I don't think it's stupid, but it is kind of silly. Um, it's uh, essentially, it's just a cantrip, and you touch a couple pebbles, one or two pebbles, and you or someone else can make essentially a ranged spell attack with the pebble. Um, you can use even a sling if they have like proficiency in, in that. Well, that's a simple weapon, but um, the, the pebble is literally just a essentially a bumped up stone. It's on a hit at 1d6 plus a spellcasting mod of bludgeoning damage. I think this is just the funniest cantrip in the world. It's like, oh yes, I take a stone and I make it slightly more powerful right. than what it would have been. I'm going to make... I'm going to make an argument for the spell real quick. Okay, go ahead. All right. I will say Magic Stone casting time is a bonus action. Mm-hmm. So the thought is that if you are, you can throw up to, you can imbue up to three pebbles at once, it says in the spell, up to one to three. So let's assume you go for the biggest. Let's assume you, in, uh, in the thing, it's a cantrip, which means you can still also cast a leveled spell. If you yeah. had perhaps an ally with you, that was someone who was uh, dex-based. You know, they'd be able to uh, use that in a sling of sorts. And it is magical, which means it ignores uh, resistance to non-magical damage. This is true. It's, it's a cantrip, um, so which means you can cast a spell, reach down, touch three little pebbles, imbue them with magic, hand them to whatever, and they've got magic ammo. I do, I think that I like I when I started talking about it, I had to re I had to I had to stop myself and I had to reiterate that it's not necessarily stupid. I just think it is. Um, it's it's definitely an interesting cantrip, considering it's also um, uh, artificer, druid, and warlock. I would definitely say it's impractical. It is, it's <laughs> impractical, but you know what? It is definitely in the line of a cantrip that like an artificer would know. Or definitely, for me, it's just so strange for a warlock or druid. I think it, those are the really weird ones. I feel like druid would honestly make the most sense. Because uh, yeah, druid, yeah. you could still probably use it. True, true. I think it also depends on what kind of druid you're playing. But um, maybe for another episode, we can think of a druid that can incorporate the magic stone spell into its into its repertoire of spells. And we'll build right. a, we'll build a druid that can throw magic stones. All right, this is something that I will definitely look into. Yes, dwell on it, please. 